found on page 1892 of the New International Version of the Holy Bible. It is taken from the first letter of Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to verse 7. To elders and young men, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but to give grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you that they seem as appropriate now as they were when Peter wrote them. And we pray that we would come under your word, examine ourselves and look to you for our help. For you are our saviour and redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, look at that verse there, at verse 5, halfway through. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Um, I don't know about you, there's a weird thing that I do when I get dressed in the morning. Nobody's wondering where this is going. That's a relief, good. <laughs> you trust me, but I have to take my jacket off. I have to demonstrate it. Uh, but I noticed, as uh, many years ago, uh, that when I put a jumper on, as I have today, uh, one of the things I do is this. Okay? I want my cuffs to be the same. Hands up if you do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not alone. <laughs> I'm not alone. There's two of us, three of us in the church with this particular kind of OCD. Um, it's not... <laughs> and I didn't think much of it except my mother. I did it. I wonder how I put my jump. So I thought, oh, and my mother said, your father did that forever. It irritates me. So I thought, oh, I learned it from my father. Oh, so it's something that you can learn. And then one day, one of our children was getting dressed and putting their jumper on, and guess what they did? <laughs> Are my cuffs the same? I thought, how did they learn that? What on earth, how did they pick that up? 
And it's a really interesting thing. How do I learn to do things? And how do I learn to do such weird things that seem to be so innate and also natural? And is it important in our walk with God to do things like that, to be innate and natural? You see, one of the things we learn, isn't it? We learn through experience. We learn through being taught. Uh, we learn by copying people. So I imagine that's where I picked that up. I don't think, it's a gene- I don't think there's a gene for cuff measuring. Um, sometimes we learn stuff by experience, and sometimes we learn by trying for ourselves, and sometimes by adapting, because things don't work out, and we try a different route. So we learn lots of sorts of things in different ways, but here, Peter is trying to teach them to learn some new things, and it's evident that there's some trouble in this fellowship, which was struggling to copy the ways of Jesus Christ. They're struggling a little bit, because we can mirror read. There's a little trick if you're particularly in the epistles, in the letters, near the back. But basically, if the people are told to do something, it's because they're not doing it. Uh, They're doing the opposite. And we can see, look, okay, so there's there's several issues uh, within this church, uh, and it should be important to us too, because we want to be shaped by God's word. We want to reflect his uh, likeness. We want to reflect the life of Christ, and it's important. Bear in mind, this is a church... That's, that's, that's struggling in a world that doesn't really understand them. One of the main reasons for persecution, isn't it, is we don't understand you, therefore we don't like you, we don't trust you. And some of the things that they were doing, if we read this, tell us that they were doing stuff that didn't really reflect the life that they're supposed to be living, the clothing of Christ that they're supposed to be wearing. But if we can learn to be humble, and if we can learn to sort of see what's going on here, then we may find ourselves able to reflect and live in a more Christ-like way. And that might be a little easier than doing it the way the world wants. So Peter has appealed, first of all, I appeal to you, verse 1, um, and that's, a, that's quite a strong word, actually, isn't it? I appeal to you, I exhort you, I want you to come round to my way of thinking as a fellow elder. It's a little bit hazy how structured the church was. Did it have people who were clearly in charge, or did it have a group of people who were sort of thought to be in charge? A bit hazy about the early, so that. But Peter says, look, I'm a fellow elder. I lead some people myself, so um, I know what it's like. And on the grounds of these, he uses this word shepherd. Be shepherds of God's flock. Be the person who is able to, you know, be a person who reflects the kind of leader that God wants. These are important words for the Jewish listeners, the people who had moved from Judaism to Christianity, because the Old Testament is overflowing with this image of a shepherd king who would look after them, who would rule over them, but do it so well they enjoyed being ruled. That was important. So this Old Testament idea is is in there. But he also says, as a witness, did you see that? As a witness of Christ's sufferings. He's talking about personal experience as well as a principle of what is going on, what should happen. And so we come to these three uh, little knots uh, in this passage. There are three knots uh, that we find. We find that Peter is saying, be shepherds, look at this, not because you must, but because you're willing. Not because you must, but because you're willing. And then he says, not pursuing dishonest gain. Not pursuing to you, 
And then verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you. That's a, that's a fairly terrifying or horrible picture of the church, isn't it? Where the leaders or those, the older, the older boys and girls who are putting this church and drawing people in, apparently some would seem to be doing it out of a sense of duty and obligation. And some of them were doing it out of what they might be able to make out of it, what they might be able to get from it. And some of them were doing it because they enjoyed power and, and sort of bossing people around. Now, that is a, a, that's a terrible um, way to start, isn't it? I mean, doing it for duty's sake, not because you must. That sense of obligation, does that sound like a relationship that we want to be in? Does that sound like a relationship with God we want to be in? Do you think their heart was in it? If that's how they were leading, if that's how they were encouraging people, or let's, you know, the church was saying, right, we want to do something for the poor, and people saying, oh, okay, if we must. Because they were poor in Peter's time as well. Do you think that was in it? It sounds as if their faith was basically just going through the motions, and that's a, that's a difficult place to be. That is a difficult place to be, but it's, it's not the life that God has wanted for us. Think about in the uh, parable of the older brother's son in Luke 15, where Jesus describes or tells this story about an older brother whose response to this wonderful father figure is, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your order, yet you never once gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Is he interested in the relationship he could have with God? And brothers and sisters, if that's where you're at, then I want to meet with you because that's something we can work with. That's something to turn around because a sense of duty is, is, doesn't come out of love. It doesn't come out of relationship. It's also, Peter also says, I don't want you to be greedy for money. Timothy elsewhere, Paul says to Timothy elsewhere that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But if there's money at stake, then there's something to be made, isn't there? there's money floating around, if there's the opportunity to put in an expenses, an inflated expenses form, and we don't trust our leaders who do that. Why should the church uh, copy that kind of behaviour? It's always difficult, isn't it? We need to be honest and maybe sort of make sure that we can't, we've, we've got our checks and balances. But there are people who look for a margin, for a percentage. I'll do this because I can get something out of it. Well, that's not out of love, though, is it? That's not serving out of love's sake. That's serving for what I can get. Lording it over others, not lording it over others. Uh, you know, there was a there's a lovely moment in Matthew 20 where Jesus takes the disciples aside to observe the sort of the local governors. It must have been some kind of Roman uh, politician or sort of local sort of uh, uh, governor. Um, and Jesus takes them aside and talks to them about looking how they attempt to dominate people to make sure they've got what they need to prop them up. They need to be tough to maintain their position. That's not, that's, that, again, is not coming from a position of love, is it? That's saying, I need to be on top of this stuff to even feel I belong somehow. Those are, those are relationships that don't echo the kind of life 
that Christ has. In fact, it's a huge contrast, isn't it? Huge contrast with the way Jesus was and a huge contrast with the way he calls us to be, whether we're in any kind of leadership or not, which led to this other problem. Um, I don't know if you've come across this. I hope you haven't. Um, but there's a thing going, there's a meme going around the internet. I had to have those explained to me, um, both of them, um, but called OK Boomer. OK Boomer. And, and it comes from Boomer. I think it's OK for me to say it, although I can't use it. All right? But basically, it comes from a, sort of an anger amongst younger folk. Uh, I probably shouldn't call them folk. Uh, younger people um, uh, against baby boomers. And that's, the, that's you boys and girls who were born in the 40s and 50s. OK, baby boomers. I don't think I'm quite there. Um, but basically, there's this sort of deep-seated anger about the lack of affordable housing and the mess of the environment. And basically, effectively, what happens is whenever somebody of that vintage uh, is, is espousing their views, uh, some, a younger person is inclined or tempted to say, OK, boomer, and walk away. They're not interested. And then why has that got to do with this letter? Well, in this letter, we can see that Peter has to write to the younger men in verse 5, you need to be submissive. So if we're mirror reading... They're kicking off. They're saying, we're not happy with this. We're not, lear you know, we're not learning because we've got boomers running the show. The older folk in this church that Peter writes to are not presenting the life, the inheritance, the world that Jesus promised. And so the younger boys and girls are unhappy too. They're not seeing that looks Christ-like. They're seeing a lead that looks rather worldly, where the elders are lording it over, making a little on the side, and doing it because they have to. But that's a terrible position, isn't it? But we don't want to focus on that. It's much, much easier, isn't it? Um, they, they, basically, the older, the older boys and girls in this church, in, in St. Peter's, uh, in, not St. Peter's, Peter, that it was writing to, and making a crown for themselves, which is not what God, uh, Peter is saying is promised. They're trying to take all these things on for themselves, and they're not allowing God to work. It's frustrated the youngsters, and it's not presenting the world around them with the, with the love of Christ and the kingdom of God. But it's a downward spiral, isn't it? It's a downward spiral to focus on the problem, but Peter gives them three buts. Well, there's two buts. There's another but. <laughs> it's quite a good one, that. I was, I was tempted whether or not to put that one in. Um, um, Peter says, look, instead of these things, look, not because you must, but because you're willing. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. So those are clear ideas that Peter is bringing in. Clothe own experience of Jesus Christ. The model he learned was to clothe himself with the humility of Christ in the way that Jesus did. Peter didn't just witness a man handing himself over to the will of an angry world. He saw how Jesus' ministry alienated him even from his earthly family. Peter saw how the Jewish leaders, the religious people of the day, rejected the claims 
of truth that Jesus made. He knew about the plots that we people had against Jesus to undermine him. Peter ate the last Passover with Jesus. He saw Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. He witnessed the betrayal of Judas. He saw the arrest. He heard about the questioning and the mock trial, which led to Jesus' execution. Peter witnessed firsthand the leadership and heart of God. Because Jesus at all times was trusting humbly what his father would do. And as a result, Peter also witnesses the resurrection. It's the second one there. Third, sorry, because the women were there before him. He's the third one there. He witnesses, even on that note, the forgiveness of Christ for all of those failures that he managed, even on that last evening. He sees that God, rather than leaving us to it and creating a situation where I'm God and you're hopeless, wants to redeem and transform us to be people worthy of a crown that God himself is preparing to put on your heads. One day you'll wear a crown. It will be God's way of saying, well done, you represent me. It's a beautiful thought, but it's a bit above me at the moment. And that's where the issues lie, isn't it? How can we become humble so that we can put it on, we clothe ourselves, and it becomes as easy as putting on a jumper? How can we learn uh, to be the kinds of people? Because it seems a long way from me uh, to be like Jesus. It's one of the wonderful things about being a minister is people think of Jesus. I'm not. Just get that straight. Any of you that were worried about that, great, good. Let's get that one sorted out. The Christian walk is full of these kinds of gaps. Jesus promised this, but this is what's happening now. Here are the things that I thought would happen, and they're not here yet. I thought you would look after me, and here uh, I am struggling. I've got these pressures and tensions and tears that haven't happened yet. Where is God? And those kinds of gaps and uncertainties cause this kind of anxiety that I think Peter is alluding us to here. Because what we do is we take God, we, what the first thing we do is we discount what God might do. That's the, that's the first trap. We say to ourselves, well, it's a bit rubbish, so God's left me alone for a bit. See what I do on my own. And I think sometimes we actually think like that. But actually, what we need to remember is God is interested in bringing you to be the kind of person he imagined you to be before creation. The glorious, wonderful expression of his power and his imagination and joy that he imagined populating heaven with. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. We need to not lose sight of that. We need to hold on to it. And I think humility, why Peter talks about humility, it is really helpful here. Um, I really like this little image um, because it tells a lot. When I put into Google search, humble, you get all those awful quotes like, the thing about humility is when you think you are, you're not. Yes? You understand that one? Loads and loads of silly quotes about humility and hum being humble. But I really like this one because if you can just about see at the bottom, the blue laces aren't tied up properly. They're quite loose. Okay, when you look to the right of the screen, 
There's dirty old leaves on, on the floor. They've been there for some time. And there are also, uh, there's a giant crack where there shouldn't be. And I think that's a really helpful image, actually, because sometimes we're not ready. We're not in the right place. Our shoes aren't done up. Our cuffs aren't measured properly. And we're not in the right place. It's not okay for us to start jumping up and down about what other people are doing because we're not ready. If this chap or this, per if this person was asked to go and run somewhere, his shoes would fall off. He wouldn't be able to do it. We have to acknowledge sometimes our own failings so that when we're in conversation with people, we say, it's all right. I don't get that right either. It's all right to do that. We have to acknowledge that there are leaves and there's mess around us that we didn't anticipate would be there, but somehow still is. That we haven't dealt with it. That it's, it's, it's just cluttering our lives and we don't know what to do with it. And we sometimes have to acknowledge that there's a crack where I wanted there to be easy pathway. And that's important. Because being humble is acknowledging that I don't always have the right answers. I'm not already always in the right place. Sometimes my life is messy too. Sometimes there's a gap in what I can understand, what I can see. I read this wonderful book, I'd Draw Sabbatical on a Retreat, which talks about sometimes, you know, you can feel that God is like the tide drawing you in, but the onshore wind is in your face and blowing you off again. And we find ourselves in those moments quite a lot. And that's where the anxiety comes from. And being humble is about accepting, I'm not there yet, but God is with me. Because if we were able to say, there are gaps. If we're able to say, I'm not there yet. If I'm able to say, there is mess. And I'm also able to say, but I know that God will deal with it. But I believe that God can handle it. But I've given it to him to deal with. Then we can clothe ourselves with humility and live more like Christ than we thought were possible. Should we pause and pray for a bit? Just in a moment of quiet, perhaps there are things in your life which you really feel you need to grasp tightly and actually God wants to let go. Give it over to him instead. Perhaps there are things that are ahead of you which are looking horrible and you don't want to fall down or fall in. There are things you're not ready to deal with. Stuff going on in your life that's been there for ages and you've got used to it. And actually God is saying, let's clear this up. Jesus said to his disciples, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. Father, we thank you for Jesus who showed us how to live your way, who died that we might find that deep relationship with you in which we are recovered, renewed, restored, redeemed. And in a moment's quiet, we just name those things.
Shall we move to a time of confession? Thank you very much. Let's say together. Jesus Christ, risen Master, triumphant Lord, we come to you in sorrow for our sins and confess our, our weakness and unbelief. We have lived by our own strength and not by the power of your resurrection. In your mercy, Forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us. We have lived by the light of our own eyes, as faithless and not believing. In your mercy, forgive us. Lord, hear us and help us.